the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Did you read with Tim Montgomery? Welcome to this special edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. My name is Tim Montgomery and we're meeting not just after a very interesting party conference season, but on Friday morning after UKIP win Clacton and come very close to ousting Labour in Hayward and Middleton. And this morning I am joined by Danny Finkelstein, the uh, columnist for the Times, and also Phil Webster, the veteran political editor of the Times and now editing the Times Red Box daily politics email. Phil, perhaps I can start with you. I don't know whether I'm being um, rude in calling you a veteran, I don't, but uh, I think it's fair you enough. have observed a great number of uh, <laughs> uh, political times that are during the period when you were political editor of the Times. You're now back uh, studying politics for us again in the Times. You've seen by-election upsets come and go. How big on the political rector scale would you say what we've seen in Clacton and and in the northwesters it's it's pretty big we've seen the rise of the SDP it happened they disappeared that was a big by-election led movement at the time for the SDP and then later for the alliance when they teamed up with the liberals the difference this time round, I think is that we are so close to a general election we're just seven months away and here is this party, uh, UKIP, which is still on the move and it's moving up. It's moving up at a speed that must frighten both the main parties to the core. They they really don't quite know how to contain it. Yes, we expected them to win in Clacton. We didn't expect them to get 60% mm. of the vote. That's a big share. Yes, we expected Labour to win in Haywood and Middleton, but 
my God, 617 votes, and they'd have lost. And that really would have put a question mark over the survival of Ed Miliband this morning. Because Ed Miliband's people are saying in response to, to that result that the Labour vote actually held up, was actually up 1%. What caused the UKIP surge was a collapse in the Tory and Lib Dem vote. And they say if that happens in other parts of the North West, if the Tory vote collapses, actually Labour will win seats in the northwest is that a credible argument yes that's that that is a crumb of consolation they have this morning but what you should point out to them when they say that is that seven thousand fewer voters went into the boxes for labor but that always that always happens in by-elections well no no, it shouldn't really happen when labor is the opposition party in a by-election seven months out you would think that Ed Miliband would be able to get most of the Labour voters out. My view is that some of those 7,000 that voted for them in 2010 must have gone to UKIP. But it's obviously clear from the result that far more voters in, in that constituency went to the Tories. And they can justly say there are about a dozen seats in the Midlands and the North where if this was re- replicated at the general election, yes, it could turn Tory Labour marginals into Labour seats. That could happen. We've had a lot throughout this last week of worries about Ed Miliband after the party conference season, Phil. Do you think those calls will get more voluble today or will actually Labour MPs look coolly at what you just diagnosed, the potential that the, the split in the Tory vote will save them and Labour will be calm? They, they're not a party unlike the party I support, the Conservatives, that panics. Well, the, Will I, they start I, I think they panic, but they don't get rid of, uh, of their leaders until they've ha- given them a go at a, a general election. We've seen that with, with Michael Foote. We've seen it with Neil Kinnock. We saw it with, uh, with Gordon Brown. Those leaders looked, looked as if they weren't going to be supported by the country, but they were still allowed to stand for Labour at the election, and they lost. The, the reaction so far from Labour, the usual sources, John Mann, Frank Field, has been to say, it has been not to have a go at Miliband, but to say that that Labour is failing the working class vote, which is another way of having a go at Miliband. Mm. I don't see there being any great calls for him to go today. He will go up there and he will claim victory, but he will spend this weekend my guess is, is that he'll be, spend the weekend trying to debunk this idea that he's only going for 35% of the vote. He has got to reach out beyond that 35%. He will use the fact that they managed to hold on in Hayward as part of his ammunition today to say, look, it's the Tories that are the party who are, are failing. They can't keep their own tribe together. We have to stay together. So I'd be very surprised if any big Labour figures, even though we know what they feel privately, came out and said anything today. Okay. So da- Daniel Finkelstein, uh, Phil makes the point that Labour will say it's the Tory tribe that's splintering. And that does, on the face of it, look correct. We have a seat like Clacton, where the Tories won the last general election. They only got 20% last night. Yeah, I think it is broadly correct. I mean, one should say that getting 0.8% increase on your vote at an election you lost catastrophically is a very bad performance in a by-election only a few months from a general election. But... I think we can almost guarantee that Labour will get a poor result at the next general election, but they could still win it. And that's the comforting thing for them. 
because the Conservative vote split. But I'm actually also interested in the long-term implications of this. I mean, UKIP is not just simply a, um, a protest bubble. There is a sort of substantial base to it in people who are losers in globalization, mm. who are protesting against the political elite and against the economic elite, who are not gainers in the Britain that's being created. And, and this um, is a phenomenon we've seen with the Tea Party in the USA, with Le Pen in France, um, in the Swedish um, moderate party were basically ousted recently because of revolt on the right as well. Exactly. It's not a, a, a development I welcome, but it's one that I can comprehend and I think has real power. Um, so it can't simply be dismissed, I think, even even though I think it will have the impact on the Conservatives that we just uh, talked about, it can't simply be dismissed as a splintering of the right. Um, It's more the creation in Britain for the first time of a sort of radical right populist party that the Conservative Party has previously provided a coalition for. Now, we can have a debate. Was it because the Conservative leadership lost the skill of knitting those groups together? Although it has to be said that during the elections in which they managed to get the UKIP type of vote, they didn't win the centre? Or is it because the experience of the kind of people who are voting UKIP and the experience of those kind of prosperous gainers from globalism is just parting company, making that coalition very difficult Mm. to keep together? I think it's probably more the latter. And I think that does pose serious problems. It also questions, of course, the electoral system and um, what kind of coalitions you might be able to build in office. Well, where we probably disagree a, a little bit, Danny, is I probably would be more critical of conservative strategy. And I think probably if you look at David Cameron's recent speech to the party conference in Birmingham, I think he's realised now, because of the emphasis on reform of the European Union, replacing the Human Rights Act, devolution to England, he's recognised that he has needed to move rightwards to oversimplify. But what I think the conservative weakness still is, and I don't think they have recognised, is that actually there is a large number of people out there powering the UKIP phenomenon who just see the conservatives as the party of the rich, the party that doesn't understand how tough their lives are. And actually some of the decisions taken at the party conference, the only cut that the Tories could find to help uh, reduce the deficit next time was really a freeze in the benefits of some of the lowest people in Britain. It strikes me that the conservatives are still in danger of reinforcing the idea that they're the party of the people who are already better off. There's no doubt that it does pose a question to the Conservatives along the lines that you answer into David Cameron's strategy. It's very difficult to respond to that in a period of austerity. So you talk about the benefits cut. If you don't freeze benefits over the next uh, period of the next government until uh, 2018, you're not going to get the deficit down. Sure, but so why was the only thing that the Tories announced in Birmingham, the only way they could think of was to get closer to balance, was to freeze the benefits of the poor. There were plenty of other things, wealthier pensioners, people um, in very expensive homes, they haven't been asked to make a bigger contribution. It was, if you're going to make some attempt to reduce the deficit, and you know we agree on that, why was it only the well, poor working poor that the Tories identified? Well, of course, the working poor was not was not actually the, the sort of thrust of it. Actually, it was more going to... The, this will more fall on the out-of-work poor once you begin to but look at work. But it will certainly, work. certainly fall, so, fall and on the And also you get people moving in and out. Of, it's, it's a reasonable question if you think that by imposing taxes on, say, mansion houses, you wouldn't lose the support of 
those people without gaining very much the support of the poorer people. It's an interesting question as to whether you can kind of redistributive tax is going to solve the Conservative Party's problem of representing less well people. Not necessarily redistributive tax, but wealthier pensioners Well, my my view is that um, the only solution to this problem is for Britain to grow more, to get Bit to, to build things like the Northern Powerhouse across the Pennines, mm. uh, to, to build HS2 and be successful, to cut taxes and be globally successful, and that lifts everyone's salary. And that this, the, the solution you're suggesting doesn't actually help lower-paid people. But, so but, that would be my, but cutting be my the benefits answer. of lower-paid people... You can't, you can't possibly be, be arguing... To, uh, it's not... It's, it, it, I'm the, arguing that we should freezing, all be yes, in freezing, this together, and the freezing, Conservative Party at the moment isn't communicating. Well, I don't, I don't think that's true. The people at the top end of the scale are actually paying more towards uh, the austerity strategy than anybody else, not just in total amounts, but proportionally. I'm also questioning whether that's really the solution. I don't think the problem for the people who are, le- who are least well off is that the people at the top are being... Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Being paid loads of money, the problem is they're not being paid loads of money. So the question is how to make those people better off. And do I think the part of the answer to making the low paid better off is to do things like freezing benefit and get the deficit down? Yes, absolutely. Otherwise, I wouldn't be in favour of it. So my view was this is a strategy for lower paid people. It's about trying to get the economy to grow and make it globally successful. My answer to the problem of Clacton is to make it more economically prosperous. In other words, you can't campaign your way out of it, you have to govern your way out of it. I just think the problem with that is the people of Clacton at the moment think globalisation is one of the reasons why they're in this mess. Yes, I think Phil, they're wrong. Phil, Phil they do think that, but I don't agree with them. Well, my, my view is that the, the conference season will be largely forgotten. I think what's happened overnight shows that um, all the fine words that were spoken at those three conferences has had absolutely zilch impact on what goes on in the real world when people get down to voting. The one thing I think will be remembered is indeed the subject you mentioned, the squeeze on the the working poor. I know people in both the Lib Dems and the Labour Party who felt that when that came out from George Osborne, I've heard, heard quite a few say that's the moment that they could have lost the election. There are differing views, as we've heard from Danny, on the other side on that, but I believe that will be the most remembered moment of the conference season. It will be remembered more, I think, by the fact that that Ed Miliband forgot the deficit, <laughs> although the Tories will try very hard not to let anyone it forget that. Be. But I think in, t- in policy terms, 
the 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 issue that came out and was around in both Hayward and in Clacton was the fact that Osborne chose to to do that to, to choose the working poor and I know Danny's point about it actually they were only taking a small part of it but that was how that was how it was reported that's how it's perceived that he chose that group to be the main people helping out on the deficit we've obviously seen the surge in in UKIP and we're looking at it as a UKIP phenomenon a revolt on the right perhaps now a revolt on the left but Danny are we seeing a more profound breakdown of the two-party system here? Now, one of the things that's quite interesting at the moment is we've got quite a few opinion polls showing the Greens are getting almost as much as percentage of votes as uh, the Lib Dems in the uh, in the opinion polls. Are we seeing the you know the final breakdown of the two-party system and then potentially the first past the post electoral system that goes with it? It is possible. No, I mean, um, while the first past the post system exists, you're going to get a large number of seats for two main political parties and in the next parliament that will probably be the outcome and so therefore voting for one of the smaller parties will probably have more impact on the battle between the two main parties than on the number of seats won by the smaller ones. That's just the way the system works. But I suppose that if you get a sustained period in which you've got substantial support for a number of minor parties and you get a situation after the general election in which no no two parties can govern together it probably will question the two-party system mm. um, but we may be some way off that because the electoral system does uh, cement that in and i think what today shows is that calculating what is going to happen next may is even harder than it was <laughs> two days ago because uh, as it, as it was pointed out at the Liberal conference uh, earlier this week, we could have a situation with a party that ends up with the second highest number of votes, but the highest number of seats, which could be Labour, and the party that ends up with the fourth in the number of votes, but third in the number of seats, which would be the Liberal Democrats, could be could end up in a situation where they could form a coalition. Yeah. And what's the country going to make of second and four in terms of votes? going out there and trying to govern. It would be an amazing so, situation. And perfectly possible if the SNP surge in Scotland, for example, if you could well, pick up a dozen or so seats, which is not impossible, you could have the Liberal Democrats plus the Conservatives not having a majority, the Liberal Democrats plus Neighbour not having a majority and needing some sort of multi-party arrangement to govern the country. Yeah, I mean, the SM, the, the situation in Scotland is the other very worrying one for, for Labour, of course, because it always been able to rely on the on the Scots in national elections tending to vote in a different way than they do in the Scottish elections and we don't know but it looks at the moment that they've retained their momentum from the from the from the referendum campaign and they could well hurt Labour in the national election next May. On the 28th of October for all time subscribers they can come to the Times HQ and hear Matthew Paris and I debate how the Tories should respond to UKIP. Just to ask you, Danny Finkelstein, one thing that sort of you and Matthew have disagreed with slightly in your columns. You've, you've argued a certain level of respect should be shown to UKIP voters and UKIP M MP. Um, we've seen Zach Goldsmith, Nadine Doris, Sarah Wollaston, three Conservative MPs urge that today. But Matthew Paris, if he was here, might say, look at some of the ugly attitudes of UKIP. For example, Nigel Farage overnight has sort of said we want to ban people from who are infected with HIV from entering Britain. Is there something in Matthew's view that actually there, there is a really ugly dark side to this <coughs> party that 
that does need to be confronted. Well, I'm all for uh, engaging them in a robust debate about what the right future for Britain is. I think it is a total dead end for Britain not to be internationalist, not to engage with globalisation. I think it is inevitable that when you do that, some places will grow and some places will wither. I think we have to engage with uh, free trade and the outside world, and that, that will also probably involve a reasonably large amount of immigration. But the idea that you should be disrespectful to people who represent a very strong strand of opinion in Britain, which is that mass immigration happened without anybody in this country being consulted, uh, that there are places in the country which are crumbling and see, and feel left out of uh, prosperity, that we have to do uh, something about getting people into prosperous work and not uh, feeling left out of that. that, that those kind of attitudes deserve respect and nothing, no good is to be served not showing it. It's not a fruitcake attitude to be in rebellion against those things. Mm. It's quite mainstream to be angry with the political elite. Now, I think that's overdone. Uh, my my own experience, you know, I'm son of refugees to this country, and uh, the way that I always put it, you know, my mum was in Belson and my father was in Siberia, and Pinner is nicer. You know, so I like <laughs> this country, and I don't agree with the idea that the political elites have sort of run, you know, Lib Dem cons and the mm. Euro-Nazis and all that. I, I profoundly disagree with it, but I still think you have to show respect and engage in the argument on reasonable terms and these are in quite a lot of intelligent people who deserve to be treated respectfully so i will try and do that and in in douglas carswell's victory speech last night we saw a new member of this party newly elected basically telling his party that they had to be respectful mm. as well and it, interesting it, split ahead he's a, he's a very different personality to Nigel Farage somebody said this morning was was that a leadership speech (laughs) but um, Tory MPs this morning who've congratulated him have responded really to the way he took victory and said look we're we're not we're not going to be the anti-immigration party and uh and I, I'm absolutely sure that the Tory response will, from now on, will err not, on not, the not, side of politeness. He is the anti-immigration party, by the way. So there's, the, there's a difference between being anti-immigration and anti-immigrant. I think, I think that was yeah. the distinction yeah. Douglas Haswell was making. I'm sorry yeah. about the one. I am willing to be respectful, but that that's just not really true. I mean, they are obviously against the fact that we've had mass immigration and therefore the immigrants that have come here because of the impact they've had on the li- lives of people in Hayward and Clacton. That is a strong part of their appeal. My point is, actually, I'm respectful to people who were angry that a policy was introduced they didn't agree to. But I think it would be abs- it's absurd for Douglas to think that this was an endorsement of the policies in his book. I mean, for example, mm. uh, you know, his general globalised attitude. For example, he ran as the pro-NHS candidate, I stood up for your local hospitals, when he's in fact in favour of privatising the NHS. Mm. Uh, so it's perfectly reasonable to engage with those arguments without being disrespectful. And, and, and you, you wrote a very good column on that. And I should say for those who are listening who are Time subscribers, if they do go to the times.co.uk slash comment central, I'll put up a link to the article that... Uh, Danny has written on that and some of his other articles about uh, UKIP and then you can also register there for the Times debate with Mia and Matthew Paris. Final word to, to you, Phil. Yet again, we've had one of these podcasts where we've talked about UKIP, we've talked about Labour, we've talked about the Conservatives and we've hardly mentioned the poor old Liberal Democrats. They have just had their conference in Glasgow. Do you think it will have had any impact on anything? I thought they had a pretty good conference, and I, I, having listened to all three leaders' speech speeches, I enjoyed Clegg's 
more than the other two. I did but love the way, though, he said, um, spent quite a bit of time talking about we need to end the politics of fear after demonising the Conservatives <laughs> more than any other party leader has done. Well, I think, I think he demonised the uh, Conservatives, but I read into his speech a feeling that he would much rather do a deal next mm. time round with the Conservatives than Labour. Look, they lost their deposit in Clacton. They nearly lost their cash up north there's obviously going to be no immediate bounce back for the Lib Dems it's as he said we've got seven short months they'll end up obviously with more seats than their opinion poll rating suggests because that's the way of the world and they'll end up with more seats than UKIP but I wouldn't mind betting now that UKIP get more votes yeah okay well Danny Phil thank you both very much for for joining me Uh, thank you for you for listening to this latest podcast I want to thank Dave McGuire our producer for putting this together and also apologize to Laura Patel we were hoping to join have Laura join us from Clacton but technical difficulties prevented that but I hope we'll have her on the podcast very soon until next week when we're back to our usual tuesday slot and a range of political and non-political topics goodbye <laughs>